It'd be good to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. As we come to the last sermon in this series, the last of our seven shocking sayings of Jesus. Uh, but I want to start you thinking about bushwalking. Do you enjoy bushwalking? I enjoy bushwalking a bit. Uh, there, there's a level where it gets uh, beyond me. Where it can't take comfortable, but I like I like going through the bush, and I like the the sense of exploring and discovering and coming across things I haven't seen before, places I haven't visited, and parts of nature, parts of forest and bush that I haven't experienced before, and there's always this sense of discovery and wonder, even even if on the on the face of it things look the same you never know what you're going to come across. You never know if there's going to be an animal hiding that will suddenly appear and you capture a glimpse of it. And you never know when you pull back a branch what tiny flower is going to be hiding underneath. Uh, I love the, when you stumble across a flower in the wild, not in someone's garden, though they're nice, but in the wild, there's something special about it. There's something that's pure and uh, the, the naturalness of it. That no one has cultivated this. No one planted this seed. No one thought about this as a garden and, and put this here for them to enjoy. I've just stumbled upon it and maybe no other eye has ever seen it. I love that being able to discover. And it's this kind of surprise discovery of something that's there all along, but you might not know it, that Jesus leans into in his saying today as he continues to explain about being a disciple. He's continuing on from the theme of greed that he mentioned, or we looked at last week, watching out for greed and the problem of just amassing physical stuff and neglecting the spiritual reality. Uh, this week, he, he points out that things like this tiny flower that's, that's there all the time, but not always noticed, uh, that can serve us as a lesson in faith for those who have eyes to see, for those who have ears to hear, those who are willing to take notice. Because Jesus will say in his shocking saying, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Maybe this is not shocking because it's the kind of things we say all the time. Don't worry. Don't worry. But it's shocking because Jesus still needs to say it. As much as we tell each other not to worry, as much as we intellectually know that, we still do it. Our lives are filled with our worrying or the, the acts that are the fruit of worrying, chasing after things in an elusive attempt to grasp control of life. 
And as Jesus says this, he illustrates it by referring to the simple things of nature that are visible potentially to be seen but not understood as a lesson in faith. The birds of the air and the wildflowers that grow. Let's, uh, let's turn to the passage now, Luke 12, and we'll read it together. Luke 12 from verse 22. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus here has turned back to address his disciples. You might remember last week, he'd been interrupted by someone from the crowd shouting in a question at him. Teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And so Jesus spoke more openly at that point, addressing the wider crowd. But here he turns to address the disciples specifically. And it's still in the context of the crowds around them. And possibly they're overhearing what Jesus is teaching. But Jesus wants his disciples especially to understand this lesson. And he begins with the word, therefore. It's reminding us this is continuing on from what he was saying to the crowd about greed, about the danger it has, its grip on our lives, luring us to invest our hearts and our effort in material stuff, things, wealth, as if that was what life is all about. But no, it's not. It's not about just stuff. And so Jesus says, therefore, because it's not about just the physical world, there's more going on than that. He says, therefore, you don't need to worry. You don't need to worry about life, about food and drink. You don't need to worry about your body, how it's going to be clothed. He teaches this lesson, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. There's more than just our physical nourishment and covering. There's more going on than just the physical. 
And then he gives the example, doesn't he, from nature. The example that's right there in front of the disciples. Think about the ravens, he says. Birds. They, do they worry about their food? Well, they don't go into creating systems of sowing seeds, harvesting grain, building storehouses to amass it in. And yet, they get what they need each day. God feeds them. He provides for them. What about the flowers, Jesus says? Consider how wildflowers grow. They're pretty special, aren't they? <laughs> the flowers. When you stop to consider, they have a beauty to them that's not overdone. It's not elaborate in pretense and showiness, and yet it's magnificent, isn't it? Uh, this isn't the grass of the field. Here's some, some that grow from grasses, some Australian wildflowers. They're wonderful, aren't they, in their variety and but also in their simplicity. There's a, yeah, the, ge the geometric shapes of these, uh, what are they called? Uh, billy buttons, the, the yellow ones. As a kind of maths teacher, I love that. The uniform pattern, the way they all line up perfectly around the sphere. Or is it just the, the purity of the wax lip orchid in its five-pointed star? The kind of the, the strangeness of the shape of the kangaroo paw and yet its rich, vibrant colours stand out in the bush. Or the blue pincushion. It's a, a mass of flowers growing out of one head. Uh, Jesus says, look at the wildflowers. They don't spend stacks of effort thinking about how they look, dressing themselves. And yet, not even Solomon. The peak of Israel's kind of glory and showiness. He had all the wealth to be able to create the finest clothes, to be able to look the most impressive. Not even he, in his splendor, could approach one of these. God, in his design, in his thoughtfulness, can create beauty just out of grass, And it's just so fleeting, isn't it? You know, flowers. They look nice on the plant and you want to take them home, you cut them, you put them in water and they last for two hours and they start wilting. You follow the instructions and give them the little packets of food you get from the florist and they start wilting after three hours. Um, they're not designed to last forever, they're temporary. Even if you leave them on the plant, they're going to fade in a week. The grass itself is only going to grow for a season. And then it dries out. 
and can be just used as kindling for the fire. God invests in the natural world in, in these magnificent ways. He provides what they need. And Jesus says, the lesson is, how much more valuable are you than birds? How much more will he clothe you? You of little faith. Can we trust the one who can provide in this way? Surely we can. Surely we should. Surely we don't need to spend our lives wrapped up in worry. Now, this worry is, Jesus is talking about, it's the act of worry, I think. It's not so much the emotion of anxiety as the act of worrying. Jesus is telling them, do not worry, as something that they have power to, to choose. Uh, it's easy, it's sometimes easy to see, read anxiety into this, and anxiety, the feeling of concern about the future is, is closer to an emotional response that we don't have control over in the same way. And certainly it grips some people when there's uh, anxiety disorders that are a real problem. Uh, don't, don't hear Jesus here talking about anxiety disorder when he says, don't worry. Um, they connect, they're related. But here he's talking about the act of being warriors that, that fruitlessly strive for control. But that's what worrying is. It's an illusion of control, isn't it? Where our minds, our minds act like we should be able to fix things, be able to make a plan and bring it to reality, make our future be under our power. Worry is the illusion the thought process that, that that's, that's possible. But it's not. And Jesus points this out well, doesn't he? Who of you by worrying, verse 21, of verse 25, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Worrying doesn't work. The, the being caught up and having the thoughts go round and round and thinking about what can I do, how can I fix this, how can I solve this problem, how can I make myself feel more secure about the future? it doesn't actually result in us having any power over our life. The time of our death is appointed not by us, but by God. The worrying doesn't extend our life. It doesn't give us any more control. In fact, it just makes the, the hours that we do have more unpleasant. And so he says, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? If you don't actually have any power over the future, why are you worrying about the rest? Why do you worry about the food and the clothes? Now, let's think about this. Is Jesus saying that, like the birds... We ought not to plan for the future. We ought not to 
have any food in the cupboard. We should just kind of walk outside and see what we find in the grass and go with that. And that we shouldn't invest in clothes, but should just let our God-given natural splendor. I don't think Jesus, I don't think Jesus is recommending this. Uh, this is not what he's saying. And he goes on to explain that the problem's not so much in, in clothes and in food and in planning even the problems in our hearts. Verse 29, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. It's about our misplaced priorities. When we live angled towards that, as though that is what is most important. That is the thing ultimately sustaining us, our power to provide. That's a false way to live, a foolish way to live, a pagan way to live, Jesus says. The pagan world runs after such things. But to his disciples, he's, he's not talking to pagans, is he? He's talking to children of the Heavenly Father. We have a God who knows us and knows our needs and cares about us. It's been a common theme throughout these sayings. God knows our needs. The pagan world runs after all such things, but your Father knows you need them. God can be trusted with our future, with our ongoing sustenance day by day. So Jesus says, seek his kingdom. Invest yourself not in the illusion of being in control of your tomorrow. Invest yourself in the tomorrow that God has promised and has even, has even already given his kingdom. Don't be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. God, who magnificently designs the flowers and he provides for billions of animals, without a woolies insight. God who does this is giving us his kingdom. He's giving us everything. Uh, after this series, we're going back to Romans 8. Well, I thought I'd give you a little preview now. It says this in Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Jesus says, don't worry. God will provide. God is already 
given the kingdom. Later on, Paul reflects, and what does he see? God has given us Jesus. He's given up his most precious son. When he's been willing to do that, why do we need to worry about whether he's going to provide us with food? Surely, if he's willing to give us what is necessary to sustain us into eternity in his kingdom, to give us forgiveness and cleansing from sin, to give us the hope of life after death, to give us what we so obviously don't deserve. If he has paid such a big price to do that, he's not going to forget to sustain us. We can live as people who trust in God to provide. So Jesus finishes, he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. I don't think this is a don't think this is a command for everyone for all time to do that to be a follower of Jesus you have to have sold all your possessions and give to the poor. But I do think it's an expression of trust in God. When we do trust God to provide, it does enable us not to hoard our things like the parable he told last week, sorry, the parable we read last week, about the man who just built bigger and bigger barns to amass stuff. We don't have to live like that. We can release our stuff. We can be generous with our things. We can use it to bless and love others, not, not clinging in worry for our own future security. We can provide purses for ourselves that don't wear out, treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. We can set our heart there in his eternal kingdom. That is where our future security is guaranteed. God will provide what we need for every day of our life that he has planned. The food, the clothes, the money to fix the car when it breaks down, the shelter, the people around us for our social well-being and needs. So we don't need to worry when we hear again that inflation has risen, when we see the prices in the shop go up another notch, we don't need to worry. We, have to, we still have to deal with it. We have to find the extra money to, to be able to buy things and be sensible. But we don't have to worry. It doesn't have to weigh us down. When we hear of another interest rate rise, it doesn't need to fill us with fear and concern about what our future is going to look like. When people stockpile toilet paper, we don't have to panic and join in the craziness, seeking for that last remaining one to add to my stockpile. 
No. Do not worry, Jesus says. Our Father who knows our need has got it in control and can be trusted. Do not be afraid, little flock. Do not be afraid. Well, we began this series with the shocking reality that God is pleased to give us what we asked for, didn't we? Do you remember that? The first one, the first of the seven sayings was, ask and it will be given to you. And it feels like here we've come kind of full circle. The God who hears our prayers is the God who knows our need the God who can be trusted to provide, the God who is good and generous, the God who has our future secured, not just in our temporary physical needs, but in our eternal spiritual needs. He has secured us his kingdom. How will he not also give us all things? Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you for your generosity to us, for your kindness, for your provision and sustenance of life. And we thank you that we can trust you with this. And please help us to set our hearts on your kingdom, to set our lives in pursuing that first and foremost not in worrying and scrambling for our own future temporary security. Please help us to see the fruitlessness of worry. And instead, in, in humility, bring our requests to you in prayer. Lord, help us to depend on you, our good, generous Father. Amen. Being the end of the series, uh, I thought I'd give you some time to reflect back over the last couple of weeks, over the seven shocking sayings that Jesus has given. Uh, I wonder which has been hardest for you to take? Which one is the biggest shock to your way of thinking and living? I'll run you through them all in case you've forgotten. We had, uh, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. And last week, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. 
Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And then right back to the start. Ask and it will be given to you. Which of these sayings of Jesus stands out most, shocks your way of thinking and living? Take a moment to, to just consider this. We'll give you, give you a few minutes to, to pause and consider. I think the, the saying that I find hardest to, to let shape my thinking and my actions uh, consistently is, is still the one from last week, that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions and to watch out for all kinds of greed. It's just find that it's so dominant in our culture, that way of thinking in our society, that everywhere I turn, I'm confronted with it again. I still find I need to keep reminding myself of that, keep trying to apply it to my decisions and my habits and my heart. Uh, whatever, whatever has uh, been most of a standout to you, has most confronted your life, uh, I pray that it will continue to be shaping you as God's word does that, doesn't it? Sometimes it helps, sometimes it affects us immediately, and sometimes it sinks in slowly and continues to drip feed over us. Now you might like to chat more about this after our after our service as we share morning tea together. And we're going to stand now and sing our next song. Celebrating the God who can be trusted with our temporary needs and our eternity.